بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونستنصره ونستجيره ونستهديه فإنه من هداه الله فلا مضل له ومن لم يضلل فلا هادي له ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على النبي الأمين المصطفى الكريم خاتم النبيين راجين الله أن يكون لنا من الشافعين سبحان الله ذا الذي هدانا لنعمة الإسلام فوفانا حقنا وما وفيناه وبيجن لنعمة الله praising Allah as Allah deserves to be praised who has blessed us with the blessing of life and consciousness and the gift of intellect and awareness and we pray for peace and blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad the final prophet and all the prophets that Allah has sent through the ages and times. It is so important that we continue to remind ourselves of the kernel and the core of the Islamic message especially at a time when Muslims because of their own weaknesses and vulnerabilities have been overtaken by so many distractions that it is often difficult in the midst of the folds of confusion and ambiguities that surround our lives to forget the revolutionary moment that the world has witnessed when Muhammad delivered the final message to this world. We are the inheritors of this message that as I have said so many times in the past, we do not live up to the responsibilities and indeed the privileges of this message in the world we live today.
so much of what Allah communicated to us in his book, in Allah's book, succinctly and directly reminds us of our core existence and what it needs to be about and what we ought to be about. So for instance, in Surah An-Nisa, وَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَبِذِ الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْجَارِ ذِي جُنُبْ وَالْجَارِ ذِي قُرْبَى وَالْجَارِ جُنُبْ وَالصَّاحِبِ بِالْجُنُبْ وَالصَّاحِبِ بِالْجَنْبِ وَمِنِ السَّبِيلِ وَمَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ مَنْ كَانَ مُخْتَالًا فَخُورًا Just reflecting on this simple ayah, this one singular entrustment that Allah leaves with us. وَعَبُدُوا اللَّهُ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah and do not associate partners with Allah. With all the profound implications that follow from not associating partners. And then immediately, the transformation, the ethical transformation that takes place in the soul of a human being that, worship us, that worships Allah without partners. And this transformation has very concrete results that the Qur'an reminds us of. It begins with your parents. In fact, in society after society, you can read all the sociological studies that you want, and you will find that an earmark, like a barometer, of the health of a society is the relationship between parents and children and whether the children honor or love or take care of their parents. Society after society in history, if there is a form of alienation between child and parent, or if children get to a certain age and they become emotionally and morally detached from their parents, that is a sure sign that this is a society in the process of degradation. And subhanAllah, the Allah reminds us of this. It took us centuries of sociological studies to in fact empirically verify that the essential unit of health in a society is that relationship between the child and parent. And so Allah begins immediately after that do not associate partners with Allah. Honor your parents. وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْجَارِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى 
والجار بالجنوب والجنوب right after the parents family members after family members orphans after orphans the impoverished and destitute والجارد القربى والجارد جنوب والصاحب بالجنوب the comprehensiveness of this is astounding so after near of kin and relatives orphans and then the needy and then the neighbor who is of kin and then neighbors who are not kin so neighbors that actually do not have a blood relationship to you and friends at your side friends at your side is what we would call in our contemporary language acquaintances or familiars people that you have sufficient consciousness of their affairs of their well-being so that you in fact would know whether they are whether they're suffering whether they are in need but you do not otherwise have a steady relationship with wabnisabim and the traveler وما ملكت ايمانكم those who your right hands possess now of course right hand possess historically and linguistically is not limited as some people understand it to be to slaves but in fact anyone anyone who falls under your governorship or who you have authority over so that you can materially affect the trajectory and the fate of their life so if you are an owner of a business and there are people working in your business technically they would fall under those that wama malakat aymanukum because you affect their, their their fate you directly influence you have a responsibility a duty illegal and moral duty towards them anyone that works in your home in this moral ethical sense is milk yamin because again you affect their fate anyone that you have a an ethically founded relationship of guardianship and do care so i mean in in law we talk about those who you owe a duty of care towards and the legal standard for breach of duty well there is no reason not to understand the quran as reminding us that 
you don't only have a moral responsibility towards your parents and not only toward your relatives and not only towards the relatives close in proximity to you, in other words, your, your, your tribe, your ashira, your community, your, uh, but, and not only, not only the acquaintances that, that are in your life and the connections and the relationships, but even those who pass through your life, the wayfarer, those who pass through, those who come and go, and anyone, in fact, that you have a duty of care towards. And then this wonderfully, beautifully summing up of إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ مَنْ كَانَ مُخْتَالًا فَخُورًا Allah does not love the proud. Why does Allah choose to close this ethical reminder about the parents and the neighbor and the wayfarer and those who your hand rights possess with Allah doesn't love or Allah's dislike of al-mukhtal al-fakhur is not just someone who's, who's who's arrogant, but obliviously arrogant, someone who, is, who walks around like a peacock, thinking that they're all this and that, that they're, they're, they're important in life. It's Allah reminding us, exactly like when Allah tells us that the moral failure of human beings is when they start imagining that what they owe in life or what they give or the aid that they extend to others in fact is somehow a takarum or an act of Generosity, we'll use that for now, but it is an act of generosity that somehow attests to their own goodness as if what they own or what they possess in terms of their fate and their affairs in life belong to them. But it's a powerful reminder that in fact it all belongs to Allah, that the thing that will make you mistreat your parents, the thing that will make you mistreat family members, the thing that will make you fail to deliver on your ethical obligations towards neighbors and towards wayfarers, people that pass through your life and, and as visitors and go, the thing that will make you fail towards those who are under you hierarchically because you are their boss at work or because they work at your home, they, they, they answer to you in, in some type of institutional structure. Institutional, it could be sociologically based. The thing that will make you fail in all these obligations 
is arrogance and the ego. And anyone that has worked for a, a, a nasty boss or has worked in certain countries uh, like uh, in Saudi with a kafil or so or, or the Emirates with a kafil or worked in the Egyptian army for, with, uh, under uh, a, a general in the army will attest to that. The, the, what accompanies the act of unkindness is a huge ego and arrogance. Allah follows this in Surah An-Nisa. الَّذِينَ يَبْخَلُونَ وَيَأْمُرُونَ النَّاسَ بِالْبُخْلِ وَيَكْتُبُونَ مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهِ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَاعْتَدْنَا لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابًا مُهِينًا Those who are miserly and enjoin miserliness on people and conceal the bounty that God has bestowed on them we have prepared for unbelievers humiliating chastisement. وَالَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ رِئَاءَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَلَا بِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَنْ يَكُنُ الشَّيْطَانُ لَهُ قَرِينًا فَسَاءَ قَرِينًا And those who spend their wealth to be seen by people, nor do they believe in God and the last day and who have and whoever has Satan for a companion, an evil companion indeed is Satan. Immediately after the first ethical lesson that we are reminded of, and after reminding us that it is the ego and arrogance that often obscures the ethical perception of people even towards their own blood even towards their own parents leave alone all the other categories in life a very powerful reminder that it is our relationship to the, to the material world and material things that often will corrupt and decay and eat away at our ethical, structural integrity. Those who are miserly. Now, and teach miserliness. I've thought for many years about who goes around teaching miserliness. Of course, we do have an Asbab Nizul and all of that occasions for revelations, but that, that's, a, that's another debate and a long topic. And, but, but in terms of hermeneutics and interpretation, we understand egoism will lead you to believe that the material that you own, you own because of your own, that in fact you have autonomy and sovereignty 
over this material and therefore you will hold it back. But who is it that teaches miserliness? Every, every ideological or philosophical doctrine that teaches people a vulgar form of private ownership and individualism is teaching mindfulness is ya'muruna an-nasa bil-bukhl if you adopt an ideology like the ideology adopted by the neocons which comes from the philosophy of someone like Hannah Arendt Hannah Arendt in books like the godhead or the fountainhead don't remember exactly the, but she she's written a lot of books with the same idea the same thing who argues that individualism is not just a virtue but that in fact a human being it's a moral failure to care for others or to take responsibility for helping others this area applies to them anyone that if a parent raises a child with the idea that what what is yours is yours and always take care of yourself first and foremost that's teaching miserliness because you're not teaching the critical ethical stance that whatever is entrusted in your hand was entrusted to you by Allah and that in fact you owe nothing and in fact what is in your hands could often be there as a test from Allah to see whether you will deliver it to those who need it or deserve it and that is why ويكتبونه ما اعطاهم الله من فضله concealing Again, I reflected for a long time about so is concealing the blessings of Allah is simply that I hide it or I don't tell people about it. Am I concealing the blessings of Allah when I put my money in the bank and refuse to tell someone my bank account? That's not it. Or if I pretend that I don't have expensive suits so I wear inexpensive suits is that kitman ma'atani Allah min fadli not likely hermeneutically what makes sense is when as often you find with a lot of muslims these days when you start talking about giving and taking care of others you get a reaction 
as if this is an inappropriate topic for conversation in public discourses. So that people will act as if, well, this is a private matter, whether I help the needy or I give to orphans or I do what's right or not. It's sort of a, a sensitive topic that we don't want to broach. That's a part of kitman. That's part of concealing the blessings of Allah. Concealing the blessings of Allah is, again, when society itself makes or prohibits or censors conversations and discourses about whether the needy and the wayfarer and the disempowered and the displaced and the dispossessed, whether in fact they are taken care of or not. If you live in a society which doesn't want to air out that dirty laundry, that is a kitman. That is a kitman because we are preventing a, a, a discourse about truth, a conversation about truth, the truth that if all the material wealth that belongs in the society is Allah's. And from Allah to be shared according to Allah's ethical laws, not according to our own private egos. But again, Allah reminds us of something. We, we witness the, the, the consequences in breach. Sometimes the biggest affirmation of an ethical lesson is in observing and studying the violations of the ethical lesson not in the actual execution of the ethical lesson. Those who spend Riyah and Nas, those who spend simply as a sh to, to show off. And here my memory goes to so many situations in Islamic centers all over the United States that I've been involved with, where I find wealthy people will spend in situations where they will reap the benefit in respect and augmentation. In other words, they will spend money to take care of an Islamic center, but in return, they expect to be on the board of directors, to be on every advisory board, to be looked up to and talked to. And that's Riyah and Nas. Riyah and Nas is not simply saying, look what I've spent, but it is in fact the, the subtle social dynamics by which we elevate the rich into a position that is not well-deserved because, again, wealth belongs to Allah. The final point that has accompanied me for most of my life, وَمَنْ يَقُلُ الشَّيْطَانُ لَهُ قَرِينَ فَسَاءَ قَرِينَ That 
whose companion Satan becomes, or those who, whose, can you imagine, can you imagine that the way that you treat your parents, the way that you treat family members, the way that you treat neighbors, the way that you treat your society, the way that you treat your employees, the way that you treat those who work in your household, the way that you treat those who you have an authority over, an authority over, the way that you talk about wealth, the way that you talk about wealth, the way that you talk about rights, the way that you talk about ethics, the way that you talk about materialism, the way that you talk about individualism, all of that, if not handled morally and correctly, can create a situation where effectively shaitan, Satan, becomes your companion. Now, of course, this is, the more you think about it, the more it weighs down, weighs you down and burdens you. Satan's companionship, as Allah tells us, is the worst companionship. Recently, there were just a little bit of heavy rainfall in a country like Egypt. Over 20 people were electrocuted in the streets and died. And no one cared. Just from some rain. Not only that, the government officials came out and said, well, you know, so what, basically. Recently in Egypt, a, a train, uh, uh, the guy who was on a train taking tickets, uh, conductor, found two poor kids on the train that couldn't pay the ticket. So what did he do? He told them, either you pay the ticket or the train, the train was moving, was traveling. Or I'll open the door and you have to leave the train now. And the train is moving. And of course, when they, he forced them to jump off the train, one of them was killed. He actually fell under the train. And the government officials basically implied that this guy was overweight, so it was his fault that he got killed. That when, when he jumped off the train, he fell under the wheels of the train. You watch... The absolute obliviousness of Emirati officials about the rights and the the, the rights and 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 uh, moral worth of their, their closest of kin, the Yemenis, torture sites, stealing of property, controlling of ports, taking, uh, taking uh, uh, 
stealing the wealth of a beleaguered country like Yemen. You watch the remarkable lack of moral empathy to the suffering of Muslims from the Rohingyas to, well, before that, Bosnia, but the Rohingyas to the Kashmiris to Muslims in China. You watch consistently the affairs of so many Muslims. And when you look, you know, it's like this uh, 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 police uh, investigator who said, you know, always look for the money trail. And where you, where you look where the evil is, so we ignore the suffering of Muslims in China because we have a lot of business with China. We ignore the suffering of Muslims in Kashmir because we have economic relations with India. We, we pillage and, and destroy Yemen because of the wealth that we can make from this seaport or that, that seaport. We support a, a, a fascist dictator in Egypt because of all the economic privileges that he facilitates to the rich. You watch all of that, and then you're reminded of that threat and warning that shaitan becomes your Qareen. So much evil cannot be committed if Shaitan wanted to plan the world, Shaitan could not do a better job. All this evil cannot be committed unless, in fact, Shaitan, Satan, has become an integral part of our moral existence. But this is not an issue for overseas or it's in foreign lands. It starts with us individually. Cleanse your life of the companionship of Satan. Because Satan flows in an intimate relationship to us in our very blood veins. And cleaning your life of the companionship of Satan begins, begins with giving people their due. You fix your ability to be fair and just and humble in your relationships, giving each human being their due. Even the wayfarers, i.e. those who pass through our life, they come and go. And even those that are working under you or answer to you somehow. Leave alone your blood relations and your neighbors. And the curse of Satan might start to be undone. Might start to be undone. أقول قبل هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم صلى الله يستجب لكم
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن تبعوا بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Each of us must look in the mirror and ask the very, very difficult question. Not, is there a ghost in my life? It's like being haunted. But, is there a demon that accompanies me? Is there a shaitan that is my qareen? I say this in very pragmatic, practical ways. I've spoken about the Muslim ban in several recent occasions. Yesterday I read a report from CNN that the Trump administration is now going to add a few more Muslim countries to the Muslim ban. Already, so many Muslims from Yemen and Syria and other Muslim countries, the seven, suffer enormously because of this Muslim ban. And now more Muslim countries are going to be added. And then I am reminded of these Muslims who actually wrote defending the Muslim ban. These Muslims who actually wrote saying, uh, it's not a Muslim ban. Trump didn't do anything wrong. This doesn't involve a human rights issue or a constitutional rights issue. And I've answered, I responded to that. But I asked myself when I see something like this, Muslim support and what follows Muslim support, Muslim support meaning Muslim American organizations that supported the Trump administration and continue to support the Trump administration and in fact work with the Trump administration. And what is the result? More Muslims are going to suffer. And then, as I said before, some fellow goes to somewhere and from, from a respected Muslim institution and says, well, you know, it's just a million and a half Muslims suffering in the world. Out of a billion Muslims, that's not a bad situation. We, we, we Muslims are fine. And I ask, how much of our life is shared with the devil? How would you see this level of evil? When Allah, when, when, when Rasulullah tells us, the Prophet tells us, a Muslim, Akhul Muslim, does not surrender him and does not fail him. A Muslim feels for a Muslim as if the parts of a single body. And then we find Muslims in the United States that say, uh, you know, so what? There are Yemenis and Syrians suffering because of the ban. Just be patient. Sabr, brother. Have they read the Quran? Do they understand what Islam is even about? 
how much of the devil is our Korean, is our companion? How much of our life has become contaminated by the devil, by the satanic influence? Because when you stop caring about the suffering of others, that's a satanic influence. When you stop, when you start saying, say, when you, when you learn about, I mentioned that I was working on human rights support on, on about women being raped in Egyptian political prisons. When you, when you hear about a report like that, and then you just go and go to your job and fill your stomach with a hearty meal and then, you know, spend money on your bills and say, I'm not going to think. When you reach that level of alienation and lack of moral empathy and care, then the shaitan is your qareen. The shaitan occupies space in your life like an actual companion. Wallahi al-Azim, if we were able to, this is not figurative in my belief, that this is not a figurative expression. This is an actual literal expression. A demon does accompany a human being that fails in their duties towards Allah and towards other people. If you mistreat your parents, literally, a demon sticks to you like glue. But the same applies to if you mistreat employees or people under your... How many human beings are mistreated in the Egyptian army or Libyan army or, or, or Yemeni army? or How many people are mistreated at work in so many Muslim countries? Shaitan becomes your Qareen. How else, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us describing those who are in a status of kuffar, الَّذِينَ يَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَيَقْتُلُونَ النَّبِيِّينَ بِغَيْرِ حَقِّ وَيَقْتُلُونَ الَّذِينَ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْقِسْطِ مِنَ النَّاسِ فَبَشِّرْهُمْ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ those who commit acts of kuf, kill prophets, the age of prophets have ended, but kill those who advocate for justice. You, wherever you turn in the Muslim world, you find those who advocate for justice either being killed or in prison or being tortured. When we get to a point that as American Muslims, we know about like someone like Sheikh Salman Al-Oda, who has dropped from the discourses of Muslim American organizations nearly totally. No one thought, may, other may, than maybe care, is, is the only exception that I, I am aware of. We have stopped caring about ethical 
values. Even to that extent. And that is precisely why when Allah talks about abandoning people to their own evil, no worse evil can be than to have a, a, a satanic influence, a Satan, dedicated as a companion. And when that happens, a consequence is you lose your empathy and your ethical uh, compass so that even when you have someone like Sheikh Salman al-Oda persecuted, you go on with life without a care, without as much as when we went out in a demonstration before the Saudi consulate about Sheikh Salman al-Oda, very few people came. I mean, there were not even 20 people. If that is not a sign of an illness, if that is not a sign of the place that shaitan has now occupies in, in, of our life, I don't know what is. Allah. We love to act like parrots reproducing ayat and ahadith, quoting them verbatim, but not, but not doing the intellectual effort, because we are an intellectually lazy people, to translate these doctrinal sources into practical categories in our lived life. <coughs> And translating even something as basic as this, as fundamental as this, exposes us to ourselves. It's as if stripping our ugliness naked before our own eyes. And if that doesn't light a fire under you, to take a deep, penetrating, ethical look at yourself and to say, I must cleanse the satanic influences from my life. And I, I cannot do it on my own terms, what makes me feel good, like doing yoga, but on Allah's terms, what Allah says will cleanse the satanic influences in your life then only blame yourself when you find the satanic influence grows and mushrooms and becomes uncontrollable in your existence because it affects you, it affects your spouse, it affects your children, it affects your family, and it affects everything you touch and deal with. Allahumma anna lana ya rabbal alameen. اللهم ارحمنا واهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشدا يا علي عظيم وانصر الإسلام وأعز المسلمين بفضلك يا كريم يا رب الله forgive our sins and guide us to your path aid us be in the aid of truth and justice 
and that we uplift the message of Islam and live up to what it demands of us and its beautiful ethical message. Ya Rabbil Alameen wa Aqabu